This is my Bible. It is the Word of God and the will of God for my life. I am who the Word says I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm where the Word says I am. I'm seated right now in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, the place of authority, dominion, and power. I have what the Word says I have. All the blessings of Abraham are mine. And I can do what the Word says I can do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. The day my mind is alert, my spirit is receptive as I am taught the Word of God. My life is changed for the better and I will never be the same again. Amen. You may be seated. As you're being seated, if you would turn your Bible to the Gospel of John, Gospel of John chapter 5. As we walk through this series, Miracles of the New Testament, certain miracles are in just one gospel. For instance, when Jesus did his first miracle, where he was a blessing to a young couple getting married, that miracle is only in John's gospel. Some miracles are in two or three gospels. And so in this series, we've been in Mark and Matthew and Luke. Today, we're in the gospel of John. Now, if you're in your Bible study time and your devotional time, we call Matthew, Mark, and Luke the synoptics. And they follow a similar order and generally deal with similar content. Then you get to John in your Bible study time, you might say, well, John's a little bit different. Written later, a little bit more theological. And John deals with miracles and things that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't deal with. And we come to one today in John chapter 5, the healing of an invalid at the Pool of Bethesda. Now we learned about a month ago in the Holy Week revival that healing belongs to us. Just as much as forgiveness of sins and salvation belongs to us, healing belongs to us. Hebrews 13 verse 8 tells us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And praise God, he is our Savior, and that includes not just the salvation of, our, of the real you, your spirit, but that includes the salvation of your physical body, your healing. Praise God, he's not just our Savior, he is our healer. He is the great physician. John 5, beginning in verse 1, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colored colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. So there were these five covered colonnades, large porches, large patios, and it says here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One, who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. It's a long time, nearly four decades. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Seems like such an odd question to ask. Of course, yes, that's why I'm here. That's why I've been here a long time waiting, hoping. Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. 
While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Now, if you go to the Old Testament, just as an instance or for fun, and I'm just, you know, you can check this out. You can trust me, but you can also check this out for your, yourself. You're not, you're not going to find anywhere in the law of Moses that would lead you to believe it was wrong for someone to be healed on the Sabbath, the Lord's day. And you're also not going to find anything that would lead you to believe that on the Sabbath, if where you lived, you moved your pillow or you moved your mattress, that somehow you had sinned against God. The point of the Sabbath was that in an agrarian society where people did hard, physical, manual labor, that they have a day of rest set apart unto God to worship the Lord, to put God first, and to spend the day with their family. And one of the things that had happened by the time that Jesus walked the earth, and this happened over time, the religious leaders had come up with all kinds of rules and regulations that were in addition to the law of Moses. And they, they over time, they, they treated their rules, their regulations with the same level of authority as the law of Moses. And anyone that didn't follow all of these rules and regulations, and there, there were more all the time, they, they considered to not be righteous. They considered not to be holy. They, they considered not to be in right standing with God. You know, people can take anything to the extreme and get in trouble. There was a Jewish religious community that lived in the desert. They were called the Essenes. And we're thankful for them because in their work, they gave us the Dead Sea Scrolls and other ancient artifacts that are very important. But there were those in their group that believed it was a sin to go to the bathroom on the Sabbath. And again, that's what religion does. But if you go to the Law of Moses in the Old Testament, you're not gonna find anything that would lead you to believe it was a sin or work to go to, go to the bathroom on the Sabbath. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So he just did what Jesus said do. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Verse 14. Later, everybody say later, later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Now, isn't this fascinating? And John doesn't explain this. You said, I want to figure this out. You're not. John doesn't explain this. See, you are well again. Why don't we all say that? Say, say again. Okay. See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, this is probably not going to be the verse used in a lot of churches today in America, but it's an important one. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. 
We live in a sinful, fallen world, and because of Adam's sin, the curse is at work in sin, sickness, poverty, and death. And because we live in a sinful, fallen world with sinful, fallen men who do evil, wicked things, we, we can face things that are simply the result of us living in a sinful, fallen world. You think of pollution. I always think of the children growing up in Flint, Michigan, who deal with terrible things in their bodies, not because of something they did, but because of the incompetence and the corruption and the waste of sinful, fallen men. So we live in a sinful, fallen world, and we can face things that are the result of the sinful, fallen world in which we live. Yet we also see from the Bible, from the Word of God, that we can do things, and we can open the door. We can do things, and we can open the door. And Jesus said to this man, stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. Now, he, he was at the temple, so what sin could this have been? John doesn't tell us. We can only imagine. We could speculate, but that's dangerous to do. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Now that's interesting. They asked, who did this? He didn't know. Later when Jesus corrected him and said, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you, he then went and told the religious leaders that it was Jesus. Verse 16, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Lord's day, the day of worship, the day of rest, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. And so John, written a little bit later than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John gives us some additional insight. Verse 18, for this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, again, from their perspective, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. The Pool of Bethesda was likely a hot spring, which had become a site for ritual and for worship. And Jesus, here in John 5, he chose this site and this man to purposely heal a man on the Sabbath. Well, what better day to be healed than the Lord's day? What better day to be healed than when the people of God gather to worship the Lord and to put God first? Jesus purposely healed this man on the Sabbath. And in doing so, Jesus demonstrated the importance of people versus days or holidays or rules and regulations. Somebody might say, I want to be healed. You don't have to wait till Sunday. You can get healed on Sunday, but you don't have to wait till Sunday. Somebody could email and say, I want to be saved. Praise the Lord. You can be saved right now, whether it's Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday. What is important is people and people being saved, people being set free, people being healed, people being delivered, people receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, marriage is being restored, peace and harmony, returning to a family. That's what is important, not the particular day on which something happens. Tell your neighbor, say, the Lord cares about people. Tell your other neighbor, say, the Lord cares about people. And this is why we have to be careful to not head down the road of the Pharisees or Phariseeism. 
You know, rules are good. Without rules, you would have chaos and anarchy. And so a society has to have rules. For there to be law and order, there has to be rules. When we gather together for worship, Paul said, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, we're to do things decently and in order. Amen? So there have to be rules. But human beings can get carried away with rules. Human beings can go overboard on rules. When we teach on the home and marriage and family and parenting, there have to be rules in the home. Amen? Got to be some rules. But there also have to be rewards. It can't just be rules, 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 rules with no reward. Maybe you say, Austin, I, I grew up in a home like that. It was all rules and no, no blessing, no reward. So Jesus purposely healed this man on the Sabbath. The man had been an invalid for 38 years. And it's interesting. Jesus said, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. He had been an invalid for 38 years. What difference would a day make? The Jewish religious leaders should have been thrilled about this man who had been crippled for 38 years. They should have been thrilled about this man being healed on any day, especially the Lord's Day. But religious folks often put rules and regulations ahead of who? People. Tell your neighbor again, say, the Lord cares about people. Tell your other neighbor, say, the Lord cares about people. Now, as far as we know biblically, there had no, been no miracles since the time of Elijah and Elisha. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Malachi, Hosea. These were men that carried the prophetic word of God, word of warning, a word of judgment. Did they ever work miracles? The Bible does not tell us. It had been a long time since miracles had taken place in Israel. And the Lord Jesus shows up demonstrating that he is who? The Messiah, the Savior, the one that they had been waiting on. Yet the religious leaders weren't excited about it. They were angry about it. And the evidence that he was who he said he was. To the religious Jews, healing was a secular activity relegated solely to the realm of doctors and physicians. But healing is a spiritual activity. And Jesus demonstrated that healing was sacred enough to be done on the Sabbath. And that healing the sick was an essential part of his spiritual ministry. And in this healing, we see the folly of the things that we often depend upon or try for healing. You know, it's amazing how much we're willing to try. Well, why not try God? Why not try the Word of God? You know, maybe a decade ago, I remember one, one fad where these pills you could take, I think they were called fat buster or fat fighter pills. And, uh, People were pushing them and pitching them on Facebook. You know, you know, eat whatever you want, but take this pill. and It'll make all those calories go away. Doesn't it sound so wonderful? Not very believable, is it? But it is amazing what people are willing to try. Why not try the Lord? Why not try the Word of God? Why, why not give God the opportunity? My father may remember, I don't know what minister to credit with this, but 
A minister once said, you know, you gave the devil so many years, why not give God as many years? It's amazing what people are willing to try. Why not try the Lord? And so in John 5, we see the folly of the things that men and women depend upon or try for healing. Jesus' focus was this one individual man, not the pool of Bethesda, not all the people there. There were five large covered colonnades or porches or patios, and yet only one man was healed that day. There were so many people gathered there, this pool, the Jews had built five porches, five colonnades or patios to give shade to all the people waiting for an angel to occasionally stir the waters. Five porches, five patios full of all kinds of people waiting for an angel to occasionally stir the water. And these patios were full of the blind, the deaf, the crippled, the lame. And we're, we're seeing in this passage the folly of the things that men and women will depend upon or try before they try God or before they try the word of God or before they'll try faith. Imagine sitting there by that pool for all those years waiting for an angel to stir the water so that maybe, just maybe, you could be the first person in the water. But this is a superstitious belief and that's what superstition does. Why just the first person? Why not the first three? Why not the first five? Why not the first 10? Why not the first dozen? Who decides these things? Yet people believe all kinds of silly, crazy, superstitious things because of what someone once told them. Throughout church history, there are many examples of people being healed at unusual times, in unusual places, unusual circumstances. And this is why in church history there are then examples of a large number of people or a large group of people going on a pilgrimage or doing these strange and usual things, trying to duplicate the experience of one person. But that's not how we receive anything from God. We receive anything from God by faith. Faith is how we're saved. Faith is how we're healed. Faith is how our prayers are answered. Faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. It's not doing this thing five times or that thing three times or this unusual superstitious thing. If you want to receive anything from God, we receive by faith. So they were there, a large number of people, because the superstition or the belief was that on occasion, an angel would stir the water and the first person into the water would be healed. And somebody might say, well, Austin, all those people are there, so something must have happened. Something, sometime, someplace must have happened. Otherwise, you would not have had all those people there. Well, what Jesus said in Matthew 9, 29 is true. According to your faith, will it be done unto you. And so again, throughout the history of the church, throughout the history of God dealing with people, there are plenty of examples of people being healed in unusual ways, in unusual times, in unusual places. But then what happens? A large crowd, a large group of people say, well, then I've got to go there to be healed. I've got to do this to be healed. I've got to do that to be healed. 
That's not how we receive from God. Faith is how we receive from God. Faith in God. Faith in his word. Faith is a powerful faith, a powerful force, excuse me. Faith is a powerful force. And you will receive the things that you believe you receive. Now you know, and I know, that likely this pool of water was a hot spring that bubbled on occasion. But it had become a religious belief or a superstition. And again, God is gracious. God is merciful. And so someone in their ignorance might think, oh, I just saw the water stirred. If I'm the first person in, I'm going to be healed. Well, if they really believe that, that is a kind of faith. And Jesus said in Matthew 9, 29, according to your faith, will it be done unto you? But notice then what you have happened. Then over time, you have a large number of people there, and they're waiting, and they're hoping, and no one is getting healed. That's what religion does. That's what superstition does. People are willing to try this crazy thing and that crazy thing. They're willing to try anything but God and anything but his word. Had a young minister sit in my office a few years ago. He asked me, he said, Austin, you heard about people drinking anointing oil. And I just looked at him real strange. No, nope, this is a new one. And he, he told me about how people were drinking anointing oil to, to get something from God or to be healed. And I, I kind of like looked at it like, well, how do you feel about that? Well, apparently he was doing that. And I said, well, that, that's strange because there's not one example in the word of God that I know of of anyone drinking anointing oil. You know, when Samuel went to anoint the next king, not that one, not that one, not that one. Is there anybody else? And here comes David. Now Samuel poured the anointing oil upon David, but David didn't drink it. You're not going to find anyone in the Bible drinking anointing oil. You do that, you're going to lose weight and other, other bad things are going to happen. So people, it's amazing. They'll, they'll try this, they'll try that. They'll do everything but the word of God says. And we, we don't receive from God doing weird things. We don't receive from God doing strange things. We don't receive from God going on a pilgrimage. Well, I, I, Brother Austin, I, I think I saw the, the mother of Jesus in the car dealership window. That, that's not how you get a miracle from God. That's not how you get a healing from God. That's not how you get your needs met. God responds to faith. Well, well Austin, something did happen there. It did happen this meeting. Wonderful. But I, I can receive from God right where I am. If I need a prayer answered on Tuesday morning, if I need a financial need met on Thursday morning, if I have a request for God on Friday morning, I can receive from God right where I'm at. Whether I'm at home, whether I'm here, whether I'm here in the pulpit, I can, we receive from God on the basis of faith in Him and faith in His Word. And, but you have believers, they, they have it in their mind. They got to run here, they got to run there, they got to go to this meeting, they got to go to that meeting, because they cannot have an encounter with God in their home. Or they cannot have an encounter with God in their church on Sunday. So you got to set all those wrong beliefs. And it is superstition, you got to set it aside. In looking to sources other than God, the people of God had replaced the covenant of divine healing that, had God, that God had made with Israel. 
that man who had laid there 38 years waiting for a superstition to heal him already had a covenant of healing with God. Exodus 15, 26, the Lord had told the people, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So I say, he is the Lord who heals me. And that's true. Anytime, anywhere, any place, any circumstance. Now, during the week, you might, might feel something or might be overcoming something. You don't have to wait for Sunday. You can pray. You, can, you don't have to wait for me or for a pastor or a pastor. You can pray. You can believe God. You can receive from God. Why? Because our God, he is the Lord who heals us. See, they had lost sight of that covenant. The same covenant, Exodus 23, verse 25. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and water. And I, I will take sickness away from the midst of you. That's why, that's how we teach the little ones to pray. They, they all learn to pray this way. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you bless our bread and water, and you take sickness and disease away from our midst. Now, there might be a little issue or something you don't even know about, but when we pray over our food, thank you that you bless our bread and water. Thank you that you take sickness and disease away from our midst. Verse 26, no one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. Deuteronomy 7, verse 15, the Lord will take away all sickness and will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt, which you have known, but will lay them on those who hate you. So the word of God, the old covenant said that the Lord would take away from his people. How many sicknesses? All sickness. Psalm 103, two and three, praise the Lord and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. So think about it. That man had been waiting and waiting year after year, waiting for a superstition to heal him, but he already had a covenant of healing with God. But believers today do the same thing. See, they, they, they have not understood that we receive from God on the basis of Faith. That's how you're saved. That's how you're healed. That's how you receive any good thing from God. So I can be, I can be saved anytime, anywhere, any place. I can be healed anytime, anywhere, any place. I, I can ask God for the meeting of a need anytime, anywhere, any place, and I receive on the basis of faith. I don't have to go to a particular place at a particular time to receive something from God. I can receive from him right here and right now, on the basis of faith. We're healed by faith in the word of God. There is no other way. But it is the nature of men and women to look for other ways of being healed, and sometimes mystical ways, or spooky ways, or super spiritual ways, or superstitious ways. But we are healed, not by any of those things, but by faith in God and by faith in his word. So many of God's people are waiting on the Lord to initiate something. But God has already done that when Jesus did all that he did on our behalf. When they scourged his back, he did that for you and me. So then on that day, by his wounds, we have been healed. He went to the cross on our behalf. It's done. So somebody says, Austin, 
I want to be saved today. Pray this prayer with me. Make, confess with your mouth, as Paul said, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. But Jesus does not have to go back to the cross. He already did it. All we have to do is receive what he's already done on our behalf. And how do we do that? By faith. Faith in God and faith in his word. So for us, the challenge of faith is to get our eyes off of men and women, to get our eyes off of this or that. And again, I mentioned the, the drinking of anointing oil as a, a recent example, to get our eyes off of this or that fad, this new thing people are trying out, and to get our eyes back on God, to get our eyes back on the word of God. That's how we receive from God. All of these people at these five porches or patios were waiting, hoping. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. I can hope that the Rangers win. That will not make them win. I can hope that the Cowboys win. We know that that will not send them to the Super Bowl. I can hope that I'll live to go in the rapture, but I have no evidence that any of that will happen. And sadly, that's where the vast majority of people live. They're hoping. They're hoping with regard to how their children turn out or they're hoping with regard to their finances or they're, they're hoping with their health. They're just hoping. But that's not faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. How can I convert my hope into faith? Well, I have to have evidence. And my evidence is the word of God. Numbers 23, verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? 1 Samuel 15, 29 says, he who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Psalm 89, 34 says, I will not violate what my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. David said in Psalm 119, 160, all your words are true. Say, say every word, is true. So in this day of lies and craziness, what we can count on is God. What we can count on is his word. When we live in a culture that is literally redefining whatever the truth is every day, and, and now th people say things like, well, this is, this is my truth. S since when do we as human beings in our pride and arrogance define the truth? Be like, you know, if I ran into Elon Musk at Starbucks and said, you know, I've got a few suggestions for you about rockets. Well, Austin, you don't know anything about rockets. Well, sir, let me tell you what my truth is. This is the insanity of the culture that we live in today. Truth is the word of God. And that's what we can count on. And his word is to be our evidence. And that's how we convert our hopes into faith. That's what Abraham did. Romans 4, 17. As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. That's the God kind of faith. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him. See, what God says is our evidence. It's what we stand upon. It's how we receive anything from God. 
Romans 4, beginning in verse 19, without weakening in his faith, Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words that was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Abraham tried something in his own strength, and that result was Ishmael. He received Isaac by faith, and that's the difference. And so what we have to do is believe what God has said, which is his word, and then take action on what God has said. You have to be willing to have the God kind of faith. Jesus spoke of that in Mark eleven twenty two. He said, have faith in God. He literally said, have the God kind of faith. What's that? Paul tells us in Romans, to call things that are not as though they were. You've heard Pastor Sher how in the early years in 1988, 1989, when they had just moved into the first church building in I-30, how there was a recession and it was tough and things were tight. But he began to renew his mind to the word of God and began to say what the word of God says. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply. How many of our needs? All of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You know, none of us today are offended by that. We take it for granted. But when he began doing that in the late 80s, it was offensive. And people were, were upset. The church had a marquee sign on the highway. And in one of those years, they put on the sign, we have chosen not to participate in this recession. And people, you know, now people email, now they text, now they Facebook. Well, back then, people called angry. Who do you think you are to not participate in this recession? You have to. No, I don't. No, we don't. You, you have to. Why, why won't you participate? Because we shall have, Jesus said, we shall have whatsoever we saith. So my parents learned that in the late 80s. And what was their evidence that that was true? Even when initially the circumstances did not line up with what they were believing and confessing, what was their evidence that that was true? The word of God. And that's how we convert our hope into faith. Five of these patios filled with people hoping hoping for an angel to stir the water. And again, you know, angels are all around us. That They protect us. They do things on our behalf. But unless the Lord opens our eyes, I, I, we don't see them with our physical eyes. So you're there, you're waiting, but you got to be the first person in. Well, what good does that do if you can't see the angel? That is the futility of trying this and trying that instead of just trying God and trying his word. These patios were filled with people hoping that an angel would stir the water so that maybe they could be the first into the water. Most of them probably hoped until the day they died. There is a difference between hope and faith. Hope looks to the future, but faith is now. Faith says it's mine now. 
Faith says, I receive it now. Hope waits, but never receives. And there, we, we can be like this, hoping to go on a vacation. Well, to go on a vacation, you have to get online. You have to book the vacation. You have to schedule the vacation. You have to take the time off. Hope waits, but never receives. And so they were there. They were waiting. And here comes Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the answer. Here comes the Word made flesh. The test of faith is always in the present. And faith receives now. Faith takes the blessing now. And that's how you can tell whether you or someone else is in faith or whether you're not. The, te the test of faith is always in the present. It receives now. It takes the blessing now. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. But faith is not hope. And hope is not faith. Hope waits. And hope is always waiting. Faith receives now. They were there waiting, and here comes Jesus. And Jesus said to the man, John 5, verse 6, do you want to get well? Seems like such an odd question. Of course, yes. Well, you got to do the right things to get well. See, there, there are people, and they're, they're hoping to lose weight, and they, they saw that fat fighter pill advertised on Facebook, and they signed up for that multi-level to get those pills and sell them to their five friends, and now everybody's mad at them because they don't work. They're hoping. They're hoping it'll work. They're hoping they'll lose weight. They're hoping they'll sell enough pills to buy a Corvette or whatever it is. Faith takes action in the now. And so faith eats healthy. Faith watches what you eat. Faith goes to the gym. It's a difference. And that's how you change your life and your circumstances for the better. But you, you could take that person, they, they got those pills, they're selling those pills, they're, they're taking those pills. Do you want to lose weight? Yeah, they'll say yes, but they're operating in the realm of hope and not faith. Faith receives now. Do you want to get well? How did the man answer Jesus? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Sir, I have no one to help me. And there it is, the folly and helplessness of leaning on or waiting on others. So many today do the exact same thing, expecting healing through the help of others. And while they're waiting and hoping, they paralyze their own faith. Sir, I have no one to help me. Imagine that, laying there, all these people, all these people waiting and hoping, but there is Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. And he's not talking to any of those other people. He's talking to him, that man. He's laying there talking to Jesus. And yet his eyes were on people. And what he wanted others to do for him. And how he wanted others to help him. Or why no one would. And Jesus said, do you want to get well? Real faith works through a decided and firm will. In the King James, it translates what Jesus said this way, wilt thou be made whole? Will you be made whole? Do you want to get well? Do you will it with all your heart, your soul, your mind? Will you be made whole? Real faith works through a decided and firm will. Faith is more than willpower. 
but it is seated in the region of the will. You have to will to believe. You have to will to receive. You have to will to take the action that is necessary. The will is one of the mightiest gifts that God has given us. And we're not going to receive much from God without our will being firm and being decided. Joshua 24, verse 15, the Lord said, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. So you decide, you choose. Will you be made well? Say, I decide, I choose. It's like asking, are you going to have a good day tomorrow? You decide, you choose. No matter what the circumstances of life are, will you have a good day tomorrow? Yes, because your will is involved. And yes, there, there are days that are easier days than others and happier days than others and fewer circumstances than others, but your, your will has everything to do with faith. And your will has everything to do with what you receive and you experience in life. And we're dealing with healing. We're, we're dealing with people fighting the fight of faith. The human will is a part of that fight. When you go to see someone, you go to pray with them, you go to encourage them, one of the most powerful things is the human will and the human will to live, to fight, to see another day. It is a great gift that God has given us. Revelation twenty-two seventeen, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who heareth say, come, and let him who is a thirst say, come, and whosoever will, why don't we say this? Say, whosoever will. See, Jesus died for the sins of the world. Any man, any woman can call upon him and be saved, yet not all will. It is whosoever will. Someone has to decide. Someone has to choose. Someone has to believe in their heart and confess with their mouth. So Jesus said to the man at the pool, will you be made whole? It is God's will for us to be healed. It is his will to make us whole. And sadly, too many preachers have made God's will the question, but that's not the question. We know God's will by his word. The question is, will you be made whole? The question is what Jesus said to that man. Will you be made whole? Will you have a great year? Will you have your needs met? Will you overcome? Will you have more than enough? Will you have the victory? And then you realize, I, I have a part to play. See, God has done his part. And yet you get on Facebook, and amongst the people of God who love God, there's all this superstition. While I was there, and I saw this reflection, or I saw Jesus in my toast, or I saw an angel in the clouds, or whatever it is. Once had a man tell me, he, he, he's, he was new, he said, Austin, I, I need marriage counseling. Okay, all right. Aaron and I met with him. And I mean, it, it was just, uh, man, it, what he told us it was frightening. Well, brother, how did you pick this lady? Well, he said he was in his car one day and saw her license plate, and he thought that that was a message from God. See, God, God's people wreck themselves with crazy, superstitious nonsense. 
We're to do everything by the word of God. Every decision, parenting, dating, marriage, all of it, we're to do it by the word of God, what the word of God says. And our will is a major part of faith. It is God's will for us to be made whole. So the only question is, is it your will that you be made whole? Then you have to claim it for yourself. You have to take it and make it yours. Matthew 8, 17 says, Jesus took up our infirmities. He carried our diseases. 1 Peter 2, 24 quotes Isaiah in the past tense, by whose stripes you were healed. God's will is that you be healed. But you have to answer the question Jesus asked. Will you be made whole? And then you say, yes, I will be made whole. And then what's your evidence? What the word of God says. By the stripes of Jesus, I have been healed. Well, if you will it and you have it, why are you acting as if you don't? If you will it, and if you have it, why are you still acting like the sick man and talking like the sick man and looking for sympathy like the sick man? So faith says, I will. Faith says, I have it. Faith says, it's mine. And then faith acts accordingly. So claim your healing for what you want from God with all your heart. Real faith trusts God to the end. David Wilkerson used to say the hardest part of faith is the last 30 minutes. You have to choose to take God at his word. Jesus asked the man, will you be made whole? He says to us, will you be saved? Will you be made whole? Will you be filled with my spirit? Will you have the abundant life, not just in eternity, but here and now? And so we decide, we choose. We can say, yes, Lord. I will be saved, I will be made whole, I will have your spirit, I will live the abundant life, I will walk in all that you did for me. Please bow your heads. You might be here today and have heard me speak about how wonderful Jesus is and all that he did for us. He loves you. And the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus, that whosoever, believes upon him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. You can call upon him today and you can be saved. You can be a part of the family of God. He said, whoever comes to me, I will no way cast out. It's a choice. It is a decision to give your life to him. He gave his life for you. It is a choice. It is a decision to give your life to him. We live in times where out there in the world, people are giving themselves all kinds of crazy things. People are looking for answers in all the wrong places. There is only one way by which we can be saved. His name is Jesus. If you're here today and say, Austin, I've never asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I've never asked him into my heart, but I want to. And I wanna be a part of the family of God. If that's you, this morning, wherever you're seated, raise your hand to where I'll see it and I'll know you want me to pray. Say, Austin, pray with me. I want to ask Jesus into my heart and into my life. You might also be here today at a time in your life you prayed a prayer. Maybe you walked an aisle, but you know in your heart you've not been living for God. You've been doing your own thing. 
The Bible says the mercies of God are new every morning. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can have a new beginning. You can have a fresh start. You can leave her today knowing you have peace with God. If you're here today and say, Austin, that's me, pray with me. I want to make things right. I want to recommit my life before I go today. If that's you, raise your hand so I'll know you want me to pray with you. You might be watching or listening online. Say, Austin, pray with me. Repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I repent of my sins and I give you my life. I will. I desire to be saved and to be a part of your family. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. Thank you for a new beginning and a fresh start. Thank you for setting me free of anything that would hinder me in living for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, watching and listening now or later, there's an address on the screen. Go to the website, click Salvation. We want to be a blessing to you. We'll send you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'll also bless you with a short book written by my father, our senior pastor called God's Very Own Child. It'll help you get started in living the Christian life. We talk about faith so much. And so today is a bit unusual for us to get into the human will, but it's a gift from God that can be challenged. We live in crazy days in 2023. We, we could use all kinds of adjectives to describe it. But one of the problems of the world we live in, one of the causes of the problems of the world we live in is what I call weak Christianity. Once Sunday after church, we had lunch with our family at a burger place nearby. After we finished our meal, I got up with Samuel, take him to the bathroom, help him wash his hands. He was littler then. And coming back, I, I heard a Young pastor my age, maybe a young adults minister, youth minister. He was having lunch with a young couple. And, and he was saying, well, we all, we all sin every day. My sins are just different than your sins. That, that is weak Christianity. That is what I call lowest common denominator Christianity. That's like saying, well, we all eat too many ice creams every day, and that's why we are the way we are. You can will to succeed. You can will to walk with God. You can will to overcome. You can will to experience God's best in every area of life. And so we often talk about faith and confession. But part of that package is the will. To will to overcome. To will to succeed. To will to have what God says belongs to you. So don't let anybody out there a Facebook friend, an Instagram, whatever it is, talk you into anything less than God's best. Because God wills, and you can will too. God wills, and you can will too. Amen.